As soon as we had enough songs to play, whatever, 30, 35 minutes, we auditioned. And I think we played the following week or something. And then like three weeks after that, we were on the cover of the Village Voice or something. And it was kind of like, gosh, did we ever get in the right place at the right time? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. In this season, we are running the gamut in all of our favorite artists, bands, and albums. Um, in this episode, we are going to be talking about Talking Heads, Remain in Light. Last episode, we took you through some of the history, the discography, the relationships inside of Talking Heads. Um, we jam-packed it into probably an hour and a half, uh, maybe, maybe shorter, maybe longer, depending on how we uh, finagle it in post-production. But in this episode, we are going to go track by track in Remain in Light. But before we do so, I'm going to hand it off to my co-conspirator, my co-creator, my co-host, Stephen, who nominated this record. Stephen, hey what do you got? Hey, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were talking and we, were we talking about that election or just dreaming it? I can't remember. I think we were talking about it. Yeah. And uh, we were hoping that it wasn't going to age like milk. I oddly keep I keep track of the I keep in my town I keep track of the signs people put up. I am weird, and when election like this elections are lately been such a big part of our lives. I always am like, are they going to leave them up? Or are they going to take them down that day? What's the uh, what's the story here? And uh, somebody that's been anti Newsom like like to the very start of the recall recall like they were probably there for the first three attempts at the recall. Uh, not only not only did they not take down their recall sign, they actually since last Tuesday, whatever it is, they now they've now put up a uh, uh, like a Kevin Keeley 2022 sign. So, oh, Kylie, doubling, my God. Doubling, doubling down. Kylie's not going anywhere, guys. He's a, a, <laughs> uh, know, Rockland, Rockland California, Rockland. What is he? A Rockland count, councilman? Like, come on, yeah, get, get so, out yeah. of here. Oh, I mean, he—he's a state assembly, um, uh, con- or a state assembly, or a state congressman. He's—I don't know. He—he he looks like a goosebumps um, dummy that came to life. <laughs> Slappy. Yeah, and he, Slappy. but he, he represents Rockland, doesn't he? Isn't he from Rockland? It's something he about Rockland, Roseville. Yeah, no, he's from our neck of the woods. Yeah, and that's—that's that's my point. Is that the cities like Ro- cities air quotes, towns like Rockland, half cities like Roseville. That's like one step up from winning treasurer at the fucking high school. So I don't exactly. come on, yeah. get out of town. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Kevin Kiley, he definitely looked like a hall monitor that uh, loved to catch as many kids as possible. If you've, if you've, <laughs> if you've held any office in Rockland, California, and you haven't at least made an attempt to make those stupid roundabouts go away, then you didn't do half your job. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> not a fan of those roundabouts. Never have been, never will be. Don't even, don't know why they felt they were necessary. It's a, a little bit of merry old uh, England, apparently. It slows down the, traffic, the, the, and the no one knows what the hell the, they are. And the giant rock, the, the giant rock uh, play park that no one ever goes to, right by the roundabouts. It all makes no sense to me. Who wouldn't want to play on a giant rock? Uh, off to the races local off to the politics. races folks local politics thanks, thanks alright so in. remaining light let's we talked all about the talking heads last week and uh, their formation and a little bit about their history and the oddness of David Byrne the genius of David Byrne the David Byrne-ness of the David Byrne and let's just get into some of the music now and really really try to figure out what was going on here and you know this isn't by any means, not at all, a concept album by the Andersonian terms, but it definitely has some threads and some some meat uh, thematically that I think uh, we'll have a lot to talk about tonight. And I think we should get right to it. So let's get going on Remain in Light. It came out in October of 1980. David Byrne, Jerry Harrison, Tina Weymouth, Chris Franz. That's your main your main band there, produced by Brian Eno. A lot of guitar squelches from Adrian Ballou. And uh, the first track is Born Under Punches. Let's hear a little bit about Born Under Punches. The heat goes on. Born Under Punches. I'm so thin. some of the the opening danceable noise of Born Under Punches. And uh, within seconds of this record, the Talking Heads established the wonky world that we're going to explore for about the next 40 minutes. Uh, The song, it definitely has a lot of the hallmarks of a lot of their music. Uh, It's it's vibrant and alive, but also weirdly claustrophobic at the same time. And... um, it's 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 all over the place. It's, it's it's skittering but danceable. It's it's you know it's got beats that are going all over the place and weird uh, keyboard squelches that you can't really place. And, and maybe maybe something that could be a horn, but I think it's actually of a, a keyboard. And it's it's crazy. It's, it's actually it. This is gonna be one of the first not, times I say this tonight, but. It, it, the weirdness and the danceability and the funkiness of this is like a proto Primus. Uh, Primus and Talking Heads don't 
on, on paper, you would you'd be like, I don't know if they sound alike at all. But I, I, I a lot of times when I'm in the, the Talking Heads weird danceable land, it kind of also is uh, right down the street from Primus weird uh, rock boogie land to me. And this track does it for me. Uh, what do you think, Eric? Oh, this is great. Because if it wasn't for uh, uh, one other track on here, I'd, I, we'd be starting off with my favorite track on the album. Um, uh, very close. Uh, yeah, it comes in just like you said, claustrophobic. Um, it's got a just kind of thumping dance beat. It's got some, you know, world drums going on. It's got two bass lines, count them, two bass lines. One doing this kind of smooth groove in the background and this other one doing like slap fills over the top of it. Um, you know, it's got a, a weird guitar riff that goes from left to right throughout the whole time. And uh, it's got these haunting vocals and it's got uh, burn uh, preach preaching <laughs> over it. And it's, it's, it's infectious. And it, the first, when I um, listened to it this time, I had at some point become, become more familiar with my life in the bush with Ghost than I was with this album. And I immediately felt a sonic connection and they did record them both at the same time. And actually I think, you know, I can even imagine them coming back from wherever world travels they, that Brian Eno and David Byrne had to do that album, presented it to, the rest of the Talking Heads, who, by the way, at that time, they were barely on speaking terms. And uh, the uh, and then saying, yeah, this is how we like to make music now. Uh, you know, a bunch of uh, just jamming, cutting, pasting, sampling, looping. Uh, and you could definitely hear that whole Eno style of um, like syncopated uh, injection of synth um, that he did like in, uh, in Low. Um, and uh, it just is a big, fun mess in a great way. Um, and uh, so, as far as the you know what the song's about, he's a government man. He's a government man. Um, you know, he's he's singing like uh, basically about just the way the public was kind of stirred up after Watergate and. Um, and just the the, the kind of lack lack of uh, of trust for the government and the paranoia that kind of came out of that, and then you know maybe connecting it to other parts of the world um, as well. And you know it's the, some of his preaching is great. Yeah, the 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 hand of the government man, or uh, well, I'm a tumbler. Um, and then yeah, you, know, the, you know, take a look at me. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's he's definitely it's like this weird uh, huckster yeah uh, persona for this song yeah but the the born under punches is a great line just makes you feel like somebody who's just like you know come from a, a life of uh, uh you know basically being beaten down um and uh this song yeah i mean this is a great way to open the album it's like nothing i've ever heard um, I mean, really this, I like, there, well, it's like nothing else out there. And, um, and I think it's a great, a great opener. And like you said, Steve, they give you that sonic pastiche, which you're going to get the rest of the album. They give it to you, uh, in a, in a thick syringe injection, right, right from the get go. So Mark, what do you think? Um, I really enjoy this track quite a bit. Um, I, uh, have, certainly said when it came to my background on talking heads 
one of their for, first full lengths that I purchased was Fear of Music. And when I first heard I Zimbra, um, it just really got into my uh, into my skin, right, right into the veins. And hearing this song kind of incorporate some of those African music elements uh, definitely has that funky um, bass line and that uh, guitar tone. Uh, it sounds so, I've said this word before on another episode, spronky, uh, very mm-hmm. jagged. And man, I could tell you this, uh, uh, now the fact that Steve pointed it out, very primacy, um, now that's all I'm hearing in my head. Uh, I definitely hear the way that Lair uh, plays in Primus, especially there's one track um, off of one of their EPs when Herb came back into the band, um, Animals Should Not Act Like People. Um, there is one song on there that has that kind of um, jaggedness um, guitar playing that immediately, like, they obviously studied Talking Heads quite quite a bit. N- not to mention Primus is also really big fans of XTC and uh, I, I, in my mind, um, I don't have a whole lot of background on XTC, but I definitely think of XTC and uh, Talking Heads as contemporaries in that sort of time frame. Definitely. Both really pushing the edge of rock alternative music. Um, each have their own identifiable sound. Uh, that guitar solo um, that's in here, um, played by Adrian Ballou, friend of the show, obviously with his work in... Downward Spiral, The Fragile for Nine Inch Nails, but also just being a part of King Crimson, who I believe all three of us are uh, somewhat fans of. Um, that guitar playing is uh, its quite something. He, it's, he a, it's, a it's a bullet train. It's a bullet train derailing. Yeah. Little album called Lodger was on? Absolutely. I mean, he's... Uh, talk about someone who runs the gamut. I mean, he, he certainly could be a mascot for the show. Um, Lodger... Lodger with Eno and Bowie, and mm-hmm. the uh, not as not as uh, Afrobeat is Talking Heads, but definitely attempts at some kind of worldly music. I wouldn't even say Lodger is world music, but there's there's an attempt to try to bring in a, a vibe of the world on there. Anyhow, yeah, it, distant cousin like an, to this record, I I, I think that's um, actually pretty good. Yeah, because they both have like that exotic sound to them. There you um, go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I was just going to say that guitar solo, it sounds like a modem dialing up. It's uh, it's quite ahead of its time. But I love this track. And that part where the heat goes on, I mean, uh, it just has some infectious melodies, both musically and uh, David Byrne's music or vocal delivery is undeniable. Um, he can keep your attention uh, from start to finish. I, I love this track quite a bit. Well, that's it's it, yeah. Uh, to your point, David Vern's vocals, the, again, the heat goes on part again. That's a, that's a danceable part. Like we we're saying, this band can appeal to everybody. They can be as weird as a broken down modem. And also is, uh, this floor stomping as the heat goes on part in the same song. And also David Byrne, he does talking. He does his weird shouting his look at me, man. He does his, weird stuff like that. But at the same time that the way he delivers that never seen a thing like that before he delivers that piece of, uh, vocals just so melodically. I mean, the guy can also really sing. Uh, he does all that in one, one song. It's, it's great. One thing that I, uh, wanted to circle back on was, uh, towards the end of the song, he sings, uh, about drowning cannot hurt a man. 
uh, where the hand has been and the heat goes on. Fire cannot hurt a man. And there's this kind of, I don't know if this is what you meant by theme, Steve. And once again, I do not think this is a concept album, but one thing, and I think part of this is, is informed by an interview I read with David Byrne saying that part of the point of this album was to celebrate the world. And I feel like, like this particular song, it ends, it starts with paranoia and claustrophobia, like claustrophobia of like just being in a world where you can't trust the government and they're kind of always around and corrupt and all that. And then it kind of ends with this kind of idea that government, regardless if it's oppressive, it's a concept and like man, the man is real. And um, if you can find a way I guess, to ascend that, then it it can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. The concept can't hurt you. And there's a little bit of hope in it that I think there's, there's a, there's an element of hope that does, that does happen a few, a few songs throughout this, this record um, that I think is cool. All right. Well, let's, let's look for some of that hope as the beat goes on and we go into the next track, which is cross-eyed and painless. Side and painless, another great uh, song title. Uh, the word, the word used so far is out of sight. And uh, the song, the song is, is more of a straight-ahead rock song, but it's not a straight-ahead rock song at all. But it, it's less, it's a little less spronky. I think it has a little bit more of a shape to it. Um, it's, it, it, it still definitely has that same vibe, but it's not as. Uh, the first song is good, but the first song is also exhausting. I think this this one has a little bit more of a drive to it, and is a little little less tiring. Um, both songs are still very pleasurable to uh, listen to. I mean, this song is you know it's like a, just jump in and, and start moving and shaking um, right off the bat with this track. Everything is kind of crawling across the room, but I feel like everything's crawling across the room in the same direction, as opposed to the last track where I think things are all moving in opposite directions of each other. Uh, it's got, it's got some cowbells, congas, uh, good. There's multiple guitar tracks that are kind of making different rhythms in this track. Uh, in, in addition, to all the Eno blips, it's, uh, it's, it's a good track too. Now, I don't think it would be a good track one. It's, uh, I don't think this would be a good opener. I think it's a perfect track two to kind of rein the scope in a little bit, tell you how listenable this album can be and keep things moving. But I think that track one is a perfect track one to show you how big the sound can be on this record. Eric, what do you think about Cross-Eyed and Painless? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I see what you mean about the difference in sound compared to this and the first one. 
Like I, like I was saying, they recorded this by just jamming and then cutting and pasting pieces of jams together. And that the first track is is all cut and paste. But I mean, I love it in that, in that kind of proto-electronic music kind of way. Um, this track feels like a band playing together. You know, like you said throughout the song, there's a little bit more space, space in it. There's a little bit more room to breathe. Um, it's got a real funky, uh, like, guitar wah. Uh, throughout it. Um, yeah, the uh, world drums definitely give it an awesome drive. Um, and uh, the uh, this is this is another one I, I another theme that runs throughout this is just identity and and feeling like um, you know how easy it is to lose lose your identity and, and I know that Burn has talked quite a bit about you know him trying to trying to relate to the world and sometimes kind of losing losing himself in the process. And, uh, um, and there's a great, a great part towards the end of this. Uh, my, the, the lyrics in general are, um, are totally serviceable and catchy in their own way. Um, uh, but I think when they really stand out is when he does a little rap at the end. Um, oh man, he, is that the facts are simple part? Yeah. Facts lost. Facts are never what they seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. Were, yeah no, the whole, yeah. that whole thing that like, yeah. I think the lyrics, I think he's a pretty good, pretty good lyricist or they are. I'm sure other times yeah. the band might've joined in, but we know it's mainly David Byrne, but that rap that, oh yeah. Facts are simple and facts are facts straight. Are straight. Facts, are facts are lazy are and facts are late. Facts yeah. all come with points of view. Facts don't do what I want them to do. Facts just twist the truth around. Facts are living turned inside out. Facts are getting the best of them. Facts are nothing on the face of things. Yeah, that's it. Ooh, so I good. love that and part. So pertinent to this era. And of that's back to Claypoolian. I can imagine that on the fucking uh, Riddles Are Abound tonight. You know, <laughs> like this is uh, yeah, his... these, are, these are great, great musings that are just uh, and... bizarre, bizarre wordplay that is is near Shell Silverstein level. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would actually like. I, I someday I'll make a, a playlist of like uh, alternative bands that dabbled in rap in 1980. And I would put this song right next to like Magnificent Seven by The Clash. Uh, just just awesome. Um, hey, yeah, it's something I want to say before I forget it. And this is actually going back to the last track. But I need to say this. Speaking of when Mark mentioned Les Claypool and Ecstasy. I heard tell you guys about how when I was a. Uh, a kid, I'm sure I told you that we live next to some fundamentalist Christian neighbors. Um, yeah. And one one time they sat me down to watch one of those like, you know, Satan's in all the music you love. All that metal you've heard, Satan's around every corner. 80s videos. And every every band on it was like, you know, Slayer, Motley Crue, uh, you know, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, uh, 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 Carcass. <laughs> And then Ecstasy, because of a Dear God, was on there. And huh. I just found it <laughs> hilarious in hindsight that all of it was metal bands except for Ecstasy was the one non-metal band on there with just these all these twee British gent- gentlemen. Oh, oh, yeah. Scary stuff. <laughs> Scary stuff. Anyhow, back, back to you, Eric. No, I'm, I'm good. Mark, what do you think? Um, I enjoy this song quite a bit. Um, and... Uh, Talking Heads have this really cool trick, and that is by creating music that is party-ready um, in terms of going to the show, and if you're just listening to the music and not really paying attention to what is being lyrically said, it sounds like you're going to have a one hell of a dance party. Great night. Um, I mean, 
LCD sound system definitely took a little bit of a uh, page out of all of the different percussion on this particular song. But this is a song that you could uh, do cocaine to, uh, but then also do cocaine when you're in that uh, introspective phase of your um, of your high, I'm sure. Uh, the paranoia, um, the uh, feeling that you're losing your identity, um, that is something that I feel is a pretty good magic trick. Uh, on the face of it, the song sounds like, yeah, let's, the party days are here to stay, and um, whereas lyrically... It's about a guy who's struggling with his own identity. And no matter how many times I've listened to this song, I always think it opens with, I've lost my shit, um, rather than shape. It's just something uh, kind of in that vein of Psycho Killer, you know? Uh, it has that kind of creeping up, like that fa-fa-fa-fa-fa-fa-fa-fa. It's creeping up into the alleyway. Uh, so this kind of harkens back a little bit to that um, very unsettling guy who's struggling trying to figure himself out in this world while there seems to be a uh, one hell of a coke party happening. Um, I don't know. I try not to be as reductionist, but I do like this track, and I do like how Talking Heads can make a pretty serious lyrically song into something that you want to put on the dance floor. It's funny though. I don't think Burn Burn doesn't strike me as a drug guy. I could be wrong about that. He's just he's just too naturally I mean, he, weird. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, and my research on David Byrne is really minimal. Um, but from what I understand, like Stop Making Sense, I think he had a little nose candy going on there. I mean, not to say where it became like a problem or anything like that. But I, I mean, it was the '80s. I mean, cocaine was like everywhere, everywhere. He also seems like the guy, kind of guy, though, that might think he's like a vod. I am programmed this way perfectly. If I put any chemicals in here, I might, you know, never get back to how I can be at my peak artistic uh, plateau. I don't know. I mean, he definitely uh, doesn't seem like a teetoler, I'll tell you that. I mean, he looks like he likes to have a good time and kind of experiment. But I don't think that he created a whole new identity for him. Uh, kind of looks like they have a good time, but also he's the kind of guy that I think at a party you'd only get caught in the corner with when he tries to explain the secrets of the universe to you. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the cowbell in this song, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. The cowbell is persistent. It's awesome. And to that cowbell, the video for it is great. Uh, it doesn't feature the band at all. It has a bunch of street dancers that David Byrne chose from... Uh, 1980 and uh, they do various dances like the hustling the knife crime posing body popping solicitation and street fighting uh those aren't dances those are like like you know they're, they're doing like interpretive dances of those uh actions it's a pretty cool video did either of you watch it uh no i didn't i read the description of it and it sounds like a uh, more arty version of uh beat it but uh yeah no it's uh it sounds uh, it's a little bit more it's a little bit more it, to get back to what we were listening to earlier today and texting about it's a little bit more uh green screen everything's ruined by faith no more than beat it it's uh nice it's it's like one shot and just a bunch of guy like a you know the, the guy's dancing uh, camera doesn't move kind of thing and I believe Tony Basil uh, choreographed that, who I, 
had a career on her own right. Um, didn't she do like the Mickey You're So Fine song? Right, and and actually David Byrne was uh, with her romantically briefly. Well, there you go. Good for him. The next track, The Great Curve. Great curve. Uh, you want to pick things up a notch. This song picks things up a few notches. Uh, it just this song is gonna make you get up and you know, clean your house if you're if you're if you're if there's any dust bunnies you gotta take care of. The great curve is gonna help you take care of them. This song is just moving quickly in one direction. It definitely has the African vibe to it. There's just a. Uh, just like a pers- like a persistent, uh, just African beat to it, and there's also I don't know if they're organic horns or if they are keyboard synthetic horns, but there's some kind of brass section on this one, and uh, I'm a, the Great Curve continues this trend of every song in this album is as good as the last or even slightly slightly better than the, the track b- before it. Um, uh, Eric, what do you think about this one? This is my song. This is my favorite. This is my favorite one on here, and, it, and it, it took me by surprise. It really was once I had the headphones on. Um, uh, yeah, it's got a. It, it, this one's got those big drums on it um, that that lock you in, and the music's the music. The background music's good. There's some moments where it grooves out into like almost a dub kind of thing, um, which uh, you know, I guess with that, rest in peace, Lee Scratch Perry. Uh, but um, the real drive to this song, what takes on the journey, is the vocal situation. There are, it sounds like there's 20 vo- voices over each other uh, singing, um, a f- you know, uh, the, 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 there's burn singing and then there's these like chorus and pre-chorus things that are happening um, that, that, that drive you around and like, uh, and sing this song about a goddess uh, she's moving to describe the world. Night must fall now, darker, darker. She's got to move the world. Move, the, and that's the when the background goes. Move the world. Got to move the world. Um, and she has messages for everyone. And uh, 
you know, it's uh, basically about this like goddess that uh, essentially the songs, you know, uh, only a goddess can bring, you know, hope and peace and beauty. That stuff can't really come from men. Um, and uh, I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's a nice little, uh, the, the, you know, hat, uh, hat tip to uh, world religions and, uh, you know, feminism. And the at some point towards the end, all of the vocals start doing things over each other, and it is just a firework show in your head. There's an Adrian Blue guitar shred that sounds like a chainsaw starting up, and uh, and then there's this great moment where the vocals are kind of going nuts, and you hear Burn come out, and the, you know the the world moves on, a woman's hips, and the whole swivels and bops, bounces and hops. There's a uh, it's it just gets it just gets. Uh, down home fun towards the end there um yeah this track definitely has a uh, a lot of layering going on as the song goes on uh it has m- momentum and layering so you're 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 moving fast but you're also ascending the tree at the same time it's not an easy thing to pull off but uh they've, they've done it on the great curve what do you think mark i enjoy this song quite a bit um now i'm not a world music guy in the sense of collecting it and um, studying it but when I'm exposed to it um, I, uh, I like what I like uh, so this particular track and I believe it's on record um, it sounds like that fella cootie uh, character or character um, artist um, very Afrobeat and I believe David Byrne was pretty influenced by that sound um it's a strong track. It, uh, it's a Streets of San Francisco car chase scene um, that is absolutely propulsive, and it uh, gets you moving. Uh, to your point, Stephen, about cleaning your house, you feel like you have to do an activity to it. You can't just sit there and listen to it and take it in. you got to like move with it. Either if you're not in a dancing mood, you got to do something productive because it just like pulses through your veins. It's just It drives into you. Uh, Adrian Blue's guitar work is fantastic. That synthesizer-treated guitar solo from him is also amazing. Uh, it's it's a great track. I don't know if it's my favorite one off the record, but so far the first three are just almost stone-cold classics. Uh, uh, not to rip from the other show that also had a season just strictly around Talking Heads. Um, but uh, Oh, did they, I mean, did they stick to that? Did they get done with that? Did you listen to all that? They did. So the the show that we're talking about, um, which kind of was an inspiration for the show. I should have pilfered that for our show, but okay, go on. <laughs> I forgot so, it existed. Yeah. Uh, are you talking heads to my talking head, uh, which was uh, Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman, who had a season on U2, uh, you talking U2 to me, and uh, the REM season, and then they followed it up with almost doing a red hot chili pepper season, but then they went ahead and they did a full on talking head season. And that was interesting for me because I wasn't as familiar with talking heads. And when this was nominated, I was worried that there was going to be some crossover, but I think out of the three of us, I think I'm the only one that really follows that show. But having said that, um, remain in light so far is an amazing record. And these first three tracks are proving that to be true. And this song in particular, it just really 
meshes the propulsiveness, the drive, the momentum of African music and uh, has like this New York spin on it. And putting Brian Eno and Adrian Ballou into the mix uh, almost has like this kind of that sister record that you were talking about with Lodger. But The Great Curve, excellent track. I couldn't recommend it more. Yeah, I like that the version of Talking Heads New York to me is very much more instead of, uh, you know, hey, I'm walking here kind of cliches. It's a lot more like the movie. uh, uh, God. After Hours by Martin Scorsese. Sure. Which is, uh, you know, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of restaurants open if you need to really get something to eat. You better rush there because there's some creeps on the street that are out there. And while you're walking from place to place and you're alone with your thoughts, have you really thought about what's going on? Like that's the version of a New York I get from the talking heads. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually a really good description of how, I mean, instead of your strokes or the New York dolls or, you know, any of those kind of New York type bands, um, the Ramones, you get something that's a lot more diverse. You get some, a sound that could be coming out of, a variety of restaurants as you're walking by them because of just the diversity of the city. You're not just getting the, we're, we're playing in an abandoned subway. We are taking the culture and we're making it sound um, as jagged as the city is. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Hey Eric, what, what is the great curve? Is it, is it the goddess? Well, that, that's the goddess's hips, buddy. That's the goddess's hips. Ah, yes. Which is like right. probably the the sun or the moon the way it the way it's always referenced to nighttime, um, probably sun. Uh, uh, also, you know, is related to hope and and all that. As hopeful as we are, are watching hips bounce. So, yes, we are. And before we move into the next track, once in a lifetime, uh, Eric reminded me when he said rest in peace to uh, Lee Scratch Perry. That we should take a moment here. Do we all have a drink nearby? I do. Eric does. We usually do. We're alcoholics. Mark, you got anything? Oh, of course. Are you kidding me? Gentlemen. Gentlemen, I'm actually near tears as I say this, but let's raise a glass to Mr. Norm MacDonald. Right, watch the TV, I watch the news, make you afraid the news, you know? Put all these stories on Iraq, Iran, North Korea, you know, try to scare you, you know? But does it ever really scare you? Like, you ever wake up in the middle of the night, ah, North Korea! (laughs) That little tiny country across the ocean. I wonder if they'll get me. (laughs) Plus, didn't MASH settle that like 20 years ago? (laughs) Why'd I have to watch that stupid show? There is one country that worries me, though. Not Iraq, not Iran, not North Korea. The only country that really worries me is uh, the country of Germany. I don't know if you guys are history buffs or not, but... uh... (laughs) In the early uh, part of the previous century, Germany decided to go to war. And uh, who did they go to war with? The world. That had never been tried before. (laughs) And uh, so you figure that would take about five seconds for the world to win, but uh, no, it was actually close. (laughs) 
Then about 30 years pass, and uh, Germany decides again to go to war, and again it chooses as its enemy the world. <laughs> and this time they have that guy, shkrankly, crankly, that guy. And I'm not even going to dignify him by saying his name, but I think you know what I'm talking But you'd think at that point the world would go, listen, Germany, here's the deal. You don't get to be a country no more on account of you keep attacking the world. I mean, what, do you, what do you think, you're Mars or something? I, uh, he passed away this week at 61 with cancer, took him. And uh, Norm MacDonald was somebody ever since I was a teenager watching uh, Saturday Night Live. Like, when I really got into Saturday Night Live, he was the uh, he was the uh, the host of the the news segment. And uh, he, he just I've, I've loved him ever since. And whenever he would pop up in anything, I'd always have time for him. And he was such a unique individual. And uh, it's a bummer that he died. So, Mr. Norm MacDonald, you know, you'll never be replaced. And you were... One of the funniest men who had ever lived. Um, yeah, I'll concur with that. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm as uh, big of a fan, but before I, I want to make sure that this is definitely uh, clear. I always, always, always respected the man because he had such a singular vision about how to approach comedy. Um, I mean, he would take things to the line and just put a toe over them, uh, but with not doing it for shock value. He did it in this kind of old Midwestern folksy way with a smile. Uh, one of the things that kind of brought a tear to my eye, um, I'm a big David Letterman fan. And on, uh, I believe it was either the last week of Letterman shows uh, when he was on the late show with, on CBS, Norm came out and did a set and he got all choked up and it was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty cool moment. Um, uh, yeah, I, Norm Macdonald, uh, never going to be another person like him and I just respect anyone who can be as comfortable in their own skin, um, as he was. So it's, uh, it's truly a loss for the comedy world. And the fact that he kept things private and he didn't want to create all of this unwanted attention, and just kind of focus and reflect on his life and be able to go on in his own terms. Um, I think that's the most Norm Macdonald thing that he could do. No, well, he did. He did what David Bowie did. He just, you know, kept it to himself and kept working. It's, right. Uh, right. That's what was important to him. And uh, yeah, he never, he, he, he was never a sellout. The guy would, he would lose jobs because he was so true to himself. And uh, I mean, we just like, uh, you know, the news, uh, the the news anchor SNL segments, the Burt Reynolds stuff on SNL was timeless. Uh, anytime he was on Conan was always always great. And uh, you know if if you're if you're looking for greatest hits out there, just look up the moth joke or the uh, chairman of the board segment with Conan, which is right. the carrot top movie. Uh, or just type in Dirty Johnny, and uh, all those are just uh, they're all yeah. they're all timers. But uh, I, I, Eric, I, I, Eric, I really like that that Dirty Work movie. <laughs> dirty, that's a funny again. movie. Yeah, I have yeah. to watch it. I watch it again. I mean, as far as if you take Dirty Work and stack it up to any SNL alum movie from the yeah. '90s, Dirty Work's yeah. in like yeah. the top five. Yeah, it's a low bar. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, God, it's not yeah. you know, it's better yeah. than Stewart Saves His Family or it's Pat. Right. So. Yeah. No, no, no. He's you know. 
Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, sometimes his, his humor could be a little, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, a little like, uh, that like, uh, anti cancel culture kind of thing. Although he didn't seem to care about cancel culture, which is respectable, I guess, in its own right. I, I think um, he, he was annoyed at the idea of cancel culture, but that also, you know, I, 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 I always got the vibe that he was more of just like exhausted by the idea that people would give a shit about uh, what others gave a shit about. Right. If that makes any kind of sense. Right. But I did love his storytelling style of telling jokes is great. And it'd just go on forever. And every time you think he'd get to the punchline, he added another setup part of the setup, which just, just is, is genius. Uh, yeah. Great stuff. And then of course that, uh, that Bob Saget roast that's, that's been going around his little <laughs> part in that. <laughs> Yeah, I watched Here's, I watched that when it when it first aired for some reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah, where it was like big... everybody thought it was awkward, but like he he purposely did the cleanest. Apparently, he got a joke book from his dad. His dad gave him a joke book for the roast and said, "Hey, you might like this." And it's like a corporate roasting book, and they're all or no, it was a retirement home roasting book, so it was all old jokes and uh, the cheesiest, cheesiest and cleanest jokes you could imagine. And he's the only one up there doing a clean set, and it was a. Uh, just anti-comedy, but, uh, but he would never admit it, admit to that, but it was, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I mean, the stuff right there. That's the yeah, stuff. For, I'm not sure why I was watching that when it aired it was like 2010. I think we all, yeah, I think we, yeah, I, I definitely watched it. With but him, I just, yeah. I, I just, by the time you like, it clicks what he's doing. It was just so hilarious. And just uh, for me, I'm a Gilbert Gottfried fan for some reason. And <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried dying laughing. Well, the rest of the people were bemused is uh, makes it even funnier to me. <laughs> um, anyhow, rest in peace, Norm Macdonald. You were very funny, and please look up the moth joke. It is <laughs> the punchline is one for the ages. Um, and uh, speaking of one for the ages, once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. So once in a lifetime, this goes into the probably one of the most popular songs we've ever discussed on the show. Uh, it's it was a top uh, top forty, but it was definitely a radio hit. It was their most well known song. Uh, you can put this song on now, like I said before, in any kind of environment, and people will react to it. You could get a club dancing to this song. You could get it. You could play this song at a wedding. Uh, you could play it at a party. Uh, you could just have it on while you're sitting and talking to some people and eating cheese. It's, uh, it's a four-quadrant song. And uh, the, the great things about this song is, one, I've always found, and I, I remember this song since I was a little kid. This is definitely the first Talking Heads song I ever heard. 
Um, well, this or like I said, burning burning down the house, one of the one or the other. But this track, it could mean whatever you want it to mean. I think it could sound extremely philosophical, or it could be some kind of rumination about just like you know, oh my god, I'm middle aged now. How this happened? Uh, but but I, I choose to think that you know that the the constant like trickling keyboard sounds that kind of sound like running liquids in the discussion of there's water being underground. There's to me it might have been nonsense nonsense Dadaism lyrics to him, but there really is something there. There is definitely something there underneath the surface somewhere about like the meaning of existence and water and something more. And even though in the banality of our day-to-day grind, if you want it, you can make more of it. I can't get much more closer to the meaning of it than that. But even that to me is a lot more than I get from a lot of songs, lyrics. And uh, I love this song. I, I, I cannot help but sing with this song when, when it comes on. Um, just the way the, the, the way the chorus just jumps in and kind of sings against each other. The da, 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 da. I just, I love it. It's just, it's, it's cliched, but that's literally music to my ears. The way the chorus sounds to me is so pleasurable. Uh, I am just a huge fan of this track and it never gets old for me. I never get tired of hearing it. If it comes on the radio, it makes me a happy man. What do you think, Eric? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, the, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on with your lyric analysis. I mean, when he's he's in there and he's talking, he's he's it's just stream of consciousness as somebody who's like amassing these material things, and then at some point starts losing things and and loses himself kind of in the process. And then the chorus comes in with like the wisdom, um, where you know these material things are like uh, sh- uh, they're on the sur- they're, they're they're more shallow. They're on the surface, but if you dig deep. You find the water that has, when the water has, has flow, it has direction. Um, and that's the, you know, that's basically, we can all, we can all find our, our, uh, I guess our, our, our purpose if we look deep enough and, 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 and those like, uh, kind of surface things aren't, uh, necessarily the path to that. That's at least how I'm reading it. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I mean, this song's cool and I, and I think, um, his talking, uh, rambling verses. I think why it works with him, other than the fact that he's got such like a character voice when he's doing it, which, which helps. Um, I also think that like the frequency of those choruses, Steve, that are very infectious, but the, the, the frequency of them, that they come up like every 30 seconds <laughs> and it's great. Well, it's it's <laughs> interesting. You say that the, the frequency of them, but also, the frequency, the, the frequent C, but also the frequency of them, because this track, it was written that he was having writer's block and he couldn't figure out what to do. And the way he kind of built this track up was he made a, just a lot of like he would record just him making silly sounds. And that's yeah. that's how he started coming up with how this song feels was just mouth music. Yeah, there's a couple of the deleted tracks on here. Give you an example of what that sounds like. There's there's one called Unison and um 
uh, double groove where it's just, it's just, you can, you can hear the scatting that he did as like placeholders for what would later be lyrics. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, uh, this is a cool song. I do like that little, that synth that comes in right away, that trickling synth you were talking about. I mean, that just sounds like, like new wave, um, uh, condensed down to one measure. It's, it's, well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's great. And then towards the end, is it synth guitar, guitar, or synth that wow, 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 wow? It's towards the end of the song. You know what I'm talking about? Is it the? Is it like the? Uh, there was. Is it the Hammond organ that comes in towards the end? That's apparently. Jeez, yeah. It's apparently. Shame on me. Dude. It actually probably is an organ. What's wrong with me? It, yeah. Apparently, uh, and this is what Wikipedia said at least. Apparently, that is they're ripping a riff from what goes on by Velvet Underground with that Hammond organ part. Um, or rather, it's a interpolation of it, or, or something like that. Um, but that's no, that's awesome. Apparently, Robert Palmer plays on this track as well. Plays guitar. Yes, he does. Uh, he does do progression on this album. He was a very well dressed man. Had good hair. Mark, another well dressed man who has good hair. <laughs> We're all getting old. Um, you know that hair is definitely thin, like as it often does at uh, Man at Forty. Um, but which is a great segue into what this song means to me as I get older um, there are things that I start to relate to and on the face of it you could think that this song is about kind of that yuppie disconnect about just acquiring things acquiring trophies whether it's that large house that large automobile that beautiful wife Um, but I, I personally take it as life goes by pretty fast, as uh, Ferris Bueller would say. Um, and uh, sometimes you do have to ask yourself, how the hell did I get here? Um, and I think it largely has to do with the really effective uh, message of when you put yourself on autopilot and you just end up looking for things to create these benchmarks in your life. You buy your first home, your kid's off to kindergarten, now your kid's in fifth grade, and it just seems to happen almost like in the blink of an eye because uh, subconsciously we are essentially just living our lives on autopilot or half awake and just going through routines, that everyday malaise, and uh, this song really perfectly captures that. It is a classic for a reason. Um, not only is it because I'm sure lyrically it just resonates uh, with the listener. Whether whatever age you're in, it is certainly a fourth quadrant uh, song. My God, how many times has this song probably even appeared in movies, television shows, whenever someone is kind of approaching a midlife crisis? Um, I seem to remember this this being featured at the end of a movie that I like maybe more than it deserves. Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they they get back to uh, another Adam uh, Scott vehicle, but yeah, that's right. Well, he was in the sequel. He was not in the the first oh, one. Oh, that's it was right. John the Cusack. It was John Cusack. He replaced John Cusack. That's well, he right. plays his son from the future. Yes. Yes. I uh, see. I see. Yeah. Um, but John yeah, Cusack. John Cusack is a he. He's a, the 
personification of a Talking Heads song in human yeah. form. Yeah. Oh, totally. This could have been at least in four parts in High Fidelity, but it wasn't. Yeah. I think they get at the end of the movie, they go and see how the future has been changed by uh, Rob Corddry's uh, character uh, who makes himself like super rich and, and the song's playing and they go to his mansion. That's right. Whammy! <laughs> <laughs> That's a different actor and a different movie. <laughs> but we all you know, got, funny, no, we knew exactly I was debating, who we I was debating if it was the same actor, but I knew no, it was No, it's not Rob Corddry. No, that's uh that's uh Keckner, David Keckner. That that that's yeah. Oh, they're the same guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're both bald. They're both bald. A bald guy, yeah. I'll I'll actually take a David Keckner over a uh um who's the other guy we just said? Rob Corddry. Rob Corddry, yeah, I'll even take a Paul Shear over Rob Corddry. Hey, I, hey, I like I like them all. Rob Corddry gave me a Children's Hospital, which is a fantastic. <laughs> you can, you oh, that's give, true. You, you can give Paul Shear back to the Indians for all I care about. Him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, once in a lifetime. <laughs> Steve Steve hates how did this get made? That's that's right. That's where this comes from. Yeah. I'm not a fan of how did this get made, but I am a fan of Unspooled, which takes a more like sincere approach to actually good movies. But you're right. How did this get made? It's uh, not my favorite. But anyhow, um, I mean human what, human what, giant is it human giant? Was that the name of their? The, yeah, that's yeah. right. With Aziz and Rob uh, Hubel. Okay, yeah. Aziz, Rob Hubel, and uh, Paul Shear. Man, when Rob Hubel's the uh, the guy that stands the tallest out of the three of them, in my opinion, that's <laughs> I love that guy. No, yeah. it's true. Uh, Rob Hubel is uh, fantastic. I, I I do enjoy him. And you're right; he, he does stand tallest. And Human Giant had its had its moment, but it, it wasn't exactly a Key and Peel. It wasn't exactly a uh, Mr. Show. But uh, I give him an I'll you know give him a nice try. You know, not not too bad. Oh man, Eric, that uh, that Key and Peele sketch you sent me about the yeah. mom rapping. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I didn't see that one the first time it came out. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, once in a lifetime. Uh, unbelievable. Kermit the Frog covered it. Um, someone even put a Trump uh, face onto it. Uh, there's This song has uh, been... Done to death, but to Steve's point, it never gets old. I love this no, song. No, and every every time I hear it, usually when it says like you know, uh, 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 I, <laughs> this is not my beautiful wife. I, I do actually just ask myself like, like <laughs> there are many times where I'm like, I can't believe my wife married me and we have kids. Uh, it's in a good way, like a like you know, I'm I'm, I'm so happy that my wife loves me kind of way. <laughs> but like when I ever, I listen to this song and I'm like, I you know I. When I when I was 19 years old, I probably figured I'd never get married and die alone. So the song always reminds me. Uh, um, kind of lucky to not be alone in a weird way, which is not the intent of the song, but hey, whatever, whatever it takes. Yeah, it's just a reflection back on uh, where you've gone and now where you are. And uh, it's just it's it's hard not to get kind of wrapped up into the whole message of it all. Uh, it's great. I love it. It may be the quintessential midlife crisis song, but I don't care. It's uh, it's a toe tapper and uh, David Byrne sells it. Yeah, I'm sure uh, ZZ Top has a handful of midlife crisis songs that are 
Maybe more <laughs> yeah, those are <laughs> those are all about guys trying to compensate for the midlife crisis in ways that uh, only ZZ Top can sing about. Buy buy a Harley and chase those legs. Yeah, <laughs> get some strange. Um, <laughs> so seriously, ZZ Top was man. probably the horniest band of all time. <laughs> I don't know. ACDC or online one. <laughs> That's true. Sink sink the pink. Correct. Oh lord. <laughs> Big balls, man. When I first heard big balls on the radio, I was <laughs> like 10 years old and I could not believe what I got to hear and I laughed so hard. Oh, man. Hello and welcome to the first annual Pod Like a Hole Telethon. We are here just to raise awareness and possibly raise a little money for Pod Like a Hole. You see, um, we've got a Patreon. And at this point in the season, we could really use a shot in the arm of, well, cash. <laughs> uh, something that could uh, possibly improve our equipment, improve our sound, improve our editing to bring you maybe more, faster, better episodes. Um, and also just a way for you to express your thanks for the, uh, the, the fun we try to bring you for free. So digital tips, highly encouraged. And look who we've got answering phones. The gods of 80s music weirdos. Uh, we've got David Byrne from The Talking Heads. I sit in an empty room. I sit on an empty couch. I ask myself, what is comfort? And if you have a little bit of comfort, pass a little bit on the way. We've got Jello Biafra from The Dead Kennedys. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Even Diane Feinstein kicked them a cool hundred. And we've got Fred Schneider from the B-52s. Seahorses sailing, dolphins wailing, what are you paying? <laughs> all right, Fred. All right, listen, th- this is going to be going on all night. Uh, we'd love, uh, yeah, super appreciate it if you, if you, if you kick us a few. Um, and uh, just, you know, a little expression of your, of your gratitude for the content we try to bring you week after week. Uh, we really do appreciate you all listening and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Patreon.com slash pod like a hold. So once in a lifetime is right in the middle of the album. And uh, it's kind of cool because I think that this album kind of has a low structure to it. The second half is an instrumental music like low, but I definitely think the second half is a little bit more uh, avant-garde. And let's get into it. Starting with houses in motion. So Houses in Motion, I mean, this song still is a mover and a shaker. Um, but it's kind of a mover and a shaker after maybe you, you took some drugs. It's kind of a, it, it's, it's got a, like a, 
it's I think we're back to kind of spronkiness a little bit to it. Um, and I, I have trouble trying to figure out what this song is doing until the chorus comes along. And then I'm like, aha, I get it now. Uh, this is kind of like a young American style plastic soul song to my ear. Um, it's pretty groovy, but it's it's unsettling at the same time. It's it's slinky and slurpy funk music. Uh, I think the call and response during the chorus between the high pitched burn voices and the low pitched burn voices are some of my favorite vocal tricks he does in this record. And that actually might be the groundwork for when he interviewed himself years later. Uh, I think that that the seed for that nonsense was planted in the, the, the way the chorus is delivered on this track. Um, it's a, it's, it's another great song on a weird sounding great album and coming right in after once in a lifetime. It's a, it's not unlistenable at all, but it's a whole different vibe, but at the same time you can still dance to it. I think that might be the, uh, the byline for this record. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, no, it's 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 good. It's not uh, it's not a standout track in my opinion, um, and I think part of that is his verse delivery. Um, though he's he's shown he can do his preacher man talking um, and be very engaging. I think it's maybe a little less engaging in this. He is telling a story, and I think that what the song is about is great. I mean, it's like uh, he's he's definitely connecting with like feeling like you're a cog in this capitalism machine. Um, you know, you're trying to work towards, I may probably what people, some people hope or wish that the last song was about, which it's not. This song really is about the, the yuppie eighties, you know, culture, um, trying to get the house, uh, but really just realizing that that's a dream they sell you. Um, you know, when you're, uh, you're basically working to put money in somebody else's pocket. Um, and there's some lines that are, just, <laughs> this is not one of those songs that has hope in it. There's there's some lines where it's like, as we watch him dig his own grave, it's important to know that where he's at, he can't afford to stop. That is what he believes. So he'll keep on digging for a thousand years. And, you know, the chorus is like, I'm walking a line. I'm thinking about empty motion. I'm walking a line just barely enough to be living. Just like just killing yourself for for to barely get by. Um, I know I can certainly relate to that feeling at times in my life. Um, oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I can also it, say that the I'm walking a line part with the horns yeah. is totally like a proto Peter Gabriel mid eighties. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and this is another one that benefits, um, while his verse, the, the lyrics are, are engaging, but his delivery is not necessarily his most engaging. The choruses come quick and often. So, um, just like in the last track. So it definitely keeps the momentum up. And it keep and, and those courses do absolutely have an earworm. And I agree with Steve that the the call and response with himself uh, is definitely my jam. So um, yeah, Mark. Um, I don't have much more to add. To be honest with you, I, I really enjoy this song because it uh, doesn't have like a lot of dynamics in the sense of it doesn't really um, go anywhere besides of what you hear kind of on those opening notes. But that's a good thing. Um, those heavy organs just play a few notes with that funky bass line acting like the riff that goes throughout the entire song. It's just incredibly catchy, incredibly fun. It has some instrumentation that kind of spronks around and scrawls and uh, it's, it's just wrongs. Really... <laughs> Cause it's just 
you know, it's just, it has this kind of jagged nature to it. And I have used that terminology pretty, I think overused it a little bit, but I, uh, I just, what is going on? What paintbrush that they're using here on this record, it is pretty consistent. And I just, it, it's an earworm. I don't know how else to say it, but, uh, House is in motion. Um, it's another solid track. And we're halfway through the record, and I haven't found a uh, filler rec- uh, song on here yet. So House is in motion is still a strong song, even though it may not be radio friendly. If you have already bought the ticket, you're still in for the ride on this one. Yeah, and uh, I don't think seen and not seen is going to break that train. Let's... Uh... Let's give a little little listen to seen and not seen. He imagined that this was an ability he shared with most other people. They had also molded their faces according to some idea. Maybe they imagined a new face better suit their personality. Or maybe they imagined that their personality would be forced to change. Every, every time Mark says, every time we say Spronky, it reminds me of Sprockets. <laughs> Dita. Yeah. So oh. seen and not seen. This is a, the song is kind of a slower track. It's a little, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have tons of layers in it. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's some, some of that spoken word stuff that uh, Eric loves so much. Um, he kind of doesn't do like the, the high, like, Oh, huckster thing. He's, he's more just kind of talking to you. Like you're sitting with him at a table and, um, it's, 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 it's kind of a, it's, it's a subdued song. It's not a slow song. And like, you know, it's not like, uh, uh, R and B song to make love to someone too, but it just has a slower pace to it. And, um, I, I think that this is probably this the low point of the album for me, but it it's not a bad song at all. It's just sparser. There's less going on. It's subdued. And it definitely kind of reminds me of some of the stuff that leads to like early Twitch ministry type. It's, it's landing somewhere between early industrial music and uh, the scratch Perry stuff. Um, it's, it's an interesting track dub. And I, I think it would definitely probably find itself at home more on my life in the bush of ghosts than it does on this record, but it's not a bad song. It's just a, it's more of a sound experiment to me. What do you think, Eric? Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some really uh, great um, and, and front uh, I guess uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? There's very um, like progressive forward thinking uh, synth work happening on the song, setting the mood. Um, yeah, he does. He does talk his way through it. Um, and, and not in a, in a way like he's like, he's singing. It's, it's definitely a spoken word poem with some music in the background. Um, 
but he does it in character. He does this voice that almost sounds robotic or, or, or like a speaking spell. And, uh, and I think that helps. And I think it, 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 it's like a coda. It's like the, like how Tom Waits would do little codas on it, like spoken word stories in the middle of his albums from time to time. Um, and for that, I, I, I do think there's entertainment value. Um, and it's a song and it's about, it's about, you know, plastic surgery culture, which was definitely on the rise from the late seventies, a wider, thinner lips, speedy eyes, a larger forehead. Although some people might've made mistakes, they may have arrived at an appearance that bears no relationship to them. And the way he's talking about it, he's like, like, he's very, like a very weak, uh, like I said, almost, uh, AI type vo- vocals. Um, and it just, it, it makes me think it's, uh, Bruce Campbell's character from escape from LA, which, uh, is, uh, one of his more bonkers performances, uh, all about plastic surgery. Um, anyways, this song is definitely, if this album has a rut, it's this, but I like, once again, it's a short little coda. I don't think it takes away from it. It gives you a chance to breathe, uh, before things get real, uh, dark and deep in the like, next few tracks. Mark? This song, um, I think it's because I'm still in the uh, editing room for our LCD sound system episode. Sorry, folks, um, to give you a little peek behind the curtain. Um, this song kind of reminds me a little bit of LCD sound systems, Your City's a Sucker, on Quaaludes, however. Uh, a lot of talk, singing, it's poetry with uh, musical background. And James Murphy clearly is a, a fan of the talking heads that is, I think relatively known, uh, but I would, I would probably agree with both of you not to say that this is a terrible track as you take this whole record as a whole piece of art. It fits. I do agree that potentially this might have been a more at home on a more experimental record. Uh, but even then I know that the soundscape that, talking heads is really putting out there they are challenging their their audience here it's just that we have the luxury of time uh to see the influence that this record had on the bands that we all know and love um but seen and not seen it's not something that you're ever going to reach for it is something that you'll listen to as you're listening to the whole record from back to front and you're not going to have a bad time doing it but it's not going to give you the the internal hooks you're going to have to reflect back on it when you are going to talk about it just like we are or describe it because it is not something that is easily identifiable uh, based on the neighbors that they have on this record but all in all it's it's a good piece of of uh, music but it's not something that you're ever ever going to reach for or ever going to think that it's a highlight in their catalog but not which bad. is fine not which is fine because the next track is oh yeah exactly not every, you can't you can't hit a home run every time um what, what would the joy of the game be then but the next track is one that i would reach for just to listen to i might if i were to just say oh fuck i want to listen to one talking head song it might actually be this song i might just pick this song as someone said, you can only listen to one Talking Heads song ever again. This might be the one for me. Listening Wind.
Listening Wind, kind of like the last song, is a slower song. You might think there's less going on, but I say there's a lot going on. It's just not in your face. But if you listen to this song like you were, if you were listening to The Wind, you're going to hear a lot of things going on underneath the surface, around. It's it's not a, a typical verse, chorus, verse song. It's, it's a song that's all about the atmosphere. This song is... I'm a big fan, or at least a fan, of uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight, especially if you watch it with that video of that kid that hits that trash can along to the uh, drums. And I think that definitely this track does something similar to that song where it's a feeling. Uh, you could feel the darkness. You could feel the something in the air around you on uh, the, the, the listening to the wind, the listening wind. Um, the song itself... Lyrically, if I have my facts straight, is about globalism. It's about, I believe, someone probably in a third world country that is preparing to send a bomb out or bomb something because of the uh, ever-reaching hand of uh, North America. And the... The, the, the lyrics are heavy once you start to think about what they mean. But the music is beautiful. But they actually work together well because the thoughts of this person and what they're preparing to do and what they do do, I, I suppose, they, they're, all, they're all the kind of thoughts that someone would have uh, internally. They're, they're personal thoughts. And I feel like this is a personal song. Uh, this, the, the synths of, of this song remind me of nature. They remind me of water. Uh, the the bloops and the bleeps remind me of crickets in the distance and just like listening at night and being alone with your thoughts. And Listening Wind's a perfect title for this because I think that the, the magic stew that they put together uh, with the instrumentation and the lyrics of this song are kind of the way you feel if you just sit outside at night and listen to the wind blow. Now, if you want a direct comparison to something that you can just go put on to get what this song sounds like without listening to this song, you can do two things. You can listen to the underwater music for the Donkey Kong Country game.
the Super Nintendo, which sounds very similar to this. And that's not a knock on either of them. I've always loved that music. <laughs> or you can listen to that hold music that you always hear that, uh, you know, like if I call any kind of county for a building permit or if I call Kaiser to get my booster shot, I'm going to hear that weird underwater music that uh, Mark, what's it called? You know the name of that music. God, I don't actually know the name. Uh, Isn't I it just, like Opus 5 or something? Opus <laughs> 5, yeah. I think you can find it on YouTube. But man, I sent these guys a uh, Twitter and uh, the thing's a banger. It's a dreamy little banger. music i've always thought of donkey Kong country when i think of that that hold music <laughs> and i always thought of donkey Kong country when i hear this song i think this is a great song probably my favorite song in the album i wouldn't say it's my favorite talking head song but if i was told i can only take one this might be the one for whatever reason uh, what do you think about this one eric oh yeah no this this one's great um and you know you're right lyrically this is telling a story this is this is a song about uh what seems to be and you know a fundamentalist islamic terrorist that that is sending bombs out to americans um and it's not done in a way that's trying to strike fear or or make you fear this person in another country it is trying to be empathetic to um somebody who has had their town occupied and um seen what it's done and yes that makes them susceptible to extremism um it doesn't excuse it uh in fact it uh it does add a little bit of um uh, the, the 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 foreboding sound of the music as it slowly kind of creeps forward um you know something's gonna happen um but i think it does and especially that chorus the wind in my heart the wind in my heart the dust in my head uh, drive them away. Um, like it does, I'm not saying you feel or even empathize with this person, uh, because you know, I, that would be very hard for me to do with religious extremism. Just saying that these aren't, um, just, uh, mustache, uh, twirling villains in another country. There is a reason for it. And, um, America's hands aren't totally clean. And I think that's I think that's fair, and I think that's important. And at some point after 9/11, David Byrne said, "I don't think I could ever play this song live anymore." Um, it's you know it is critical of um, is it you know ba basically you know not everyone loves America, and uh, uh, that that would is just a knee jerk reaction to a lot of Americans, especially after 9/11, um, which we just celebrated, not celebrated. We just, celebrated we just uh we just all all, all as a group uh, honored honored it's, it's crazy it's, it's 20 years 20 years like yeah. 10 years ago i was like holy shit it's been 10 years and i'm like holy shit it's been 20 years it's crazy. yeah yeah we've all kind of collectively 
like uh, had our conversations about that day, and um, and I do think it adds uh, layers to to um, you know the perpetrators you know of that day and of you know terrorism from that place of uh, of uh, that kind of religious fanaticism. Um, I think it's yeah, I think it's deep and I think it's effective. Like I said, it has this kind of driving or not driving, creeping kind of uh, foreboding sound that um, and then they give you this this empathetic chorus that uh, gives you a little break before it gets back into it. Um, but anyways, uh, this is a very, very good song. It's right up there. It's right up there as one of the best in the record for me. And I, I got to say, it's another example of uh, David Byrne's power as uh, the vocalist. Uh, the way he sings those wind of my hearts, the wind of my brain, whatever it is, that's uh, he, he delivers it very well, very melodically. Oh, he's got this vocal moment that this is my Primus moment. Uh, although Primus didn't necessarily do the song like this, but the way he does like he sees foreigners in fancy houses. He yeah, dreams yeah. of days that he can still remember. Yeah. Like I feel like I've heard Les Claypool do something similar on a song like that. I know exactly that delivery what you're and that the, the way that it is a story that he's telling. That this this is my Les Claypool <sighs> track. But yeah, I think the dice, the dice might be getting juiced from all this Primus talk. I'm just uh, let's see, Mark. <laughs> what do you think the tonight or no? Not about Primus. I know what you feel, how you feel about them. Uh, we we uh, we've seen them live together. But uh, what do you feel about this song? I, I love this song. It's uh, not my favorite off the record, but it's still a very, very, very strong rec- uh, song. And I do like the fact that uh, we're getting it from different perspectives. Obviously, uh, through the nature of time, uh, things have turned obviously a little awkward when you're trying to empathize with somebody who is, uh, you know, very... A religious fanatic, but they're not really, really bringing that to the forefront. It's more about how uh, America tends to colonize these areas and uh, where we're a country of freedom. We tend not to give that same freedom uh, to uh, nations and cultures that we don't quite understand. And it's certainly not a hero in this particular song, um, but he he sees himself as something that's necessary, something that obviously he sees his culture, his environment, his way of life under attack, and it just so happens to be the Americans and their world superpower arrogance, thinking that we have the only way um, to live your life, and uh, if you don't like it, well, that's too fucking bad. Um, and so there is layers, obviously. Things like this is what has created the world that we live in today. Um, planes wouldn't be flying into buildings um, if it wasn't for this kind of attitude. And um, it's unfortunate. I mean, clearly, if someone came into America um, and said, well, we're just going to bomb you just because, I mean... Uh, it's because maybe there's a terrorist living on the same block as you. You had no idea, but that doesn't account for the fact now your children are dead because you just so happen to live next to somebody who has extremist views. 
And that's the life that unfortunately people in the Middle East do live. So, I mean, clearly I'm not uh, Lee Greenwood over here um, uh, where I'm thinking that, you know, I'll gladly stand up. And I, I do like the fact that some of this is brought to people's attention and the way that it's done here is uh, pretty haunting. Uh, it has a place in both. I, I, I have to say, you know, just going along with what Steven said about this being a record that would be kind of a sister record to Lodger. I see it. I, th- I, I cause I, I believe there was some uh, elements and themes discussed here also discussed there. And I think even in, Bowie's later work um, that was also discussed too. I see some uh, Peter Gabriel, like we mentioned earlier on this episode. It's uh, it's ahead of its time, and I could see why David Byrne would not feel comfortable playing this because I feel like after he would play it, then you'd have to explain it to the fucking audience, and how exhausting is that? Um, so yeah, and I, I don't think he's the kind of. He reminds me of David Lynch a lot where he writes stuff that's extremely open to interpretation and he really doesn't want to have to have you ask him what it's supposed to mean. Right. Or just deal with controversy. I mean, I I understand sometimes you have to put things out in order to push the culture forward, push art forward is sometimes you do have to get the people talking and debating about this and that. Um, But sometimes when you're having to explain yourself, especially in the light of, post 9-11 world oh so now that you you're empathizing with those fuckers that drove those planes into our buildings and killed 3,000 of our americans oh i see what you're saying fuck that guy and so like it's because it's so radicalized now um if you're not um fully 100 percent behind america even after 20 years of this we can look back at 9-11 and reflect a little bit about what we did right and what we absolutely did wrong um, it's, uh, sometimes when you're looking at things from a more nuanced uh, perspective, some of that nuance just absolutely gets lost. Um, but listening wind one hell of a track and it's well ahead of its time for being released in 1980. And, uh, I like what they're doing. They're definitely slowing things down on the second half. Like you said, Stephen, it was a party on the first half, but now we're kind of going to the after party where the drugs are starting to wear off a little bit. So, yeah. And they're going to slow it down even more as the drugs overload us with the overload, which is the closing track. Of mercy, 
the overload. It's six minutes that close this record out. And it is not danceable at all. And it is, uh, it's as quiet and atmospheric as the last track without the musicality. Um, it's not hard on the ears, but this is definitely, this song is a whole, it's, it's, this is kind of like a, what have, what have I done song? I, I don't know how else to put it. Um, it kind of reminds me of closing tracks such as Ripe with Decay off the Fragile or um, Iowa off of Slipknot's Iowa, which is a huge, like, long slog. Uh, this song is not as long as those songs, but it definitely has, like, just, like the song feels like it's concrete boots that you're trying to take steps in and you can't, and it's just... Uh, just uh, it holds you in place. The song is a molasses. Uh, it's a, it's pretty bold to end this, the album like this, in my opinion. Uh, there's a I especially for 1980. I mean, first track, first half of the album was a party. Middle part of the album is a uh, you know, still, we're still moving. The, the second to last song, it's it's quiet, but it's 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 like almost a ballad in the way it feels not thematically. And then it ends with this song that is just, it's literally a slog. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It is not hard to listen to. It is not unpleasant, but it's a very slow song. And I, I, I don't know what else to say, but besides that, I was taken aback by the first time I listened to this record. Uh, I, I thought this was like a weird bonus track or something. <laughs> it's just a, a pretty, pretty ballsy move to have this be your closing track. Um, what do you think, Eric? Oh, please. What do I think? This song is amazing. This song is like <laughs> either tied for my, fir- my favorite or second favorite track on this album. It's, uh, I mean, this, I think you could like the, I really, I'd, I'd like to take a moment here and just Steve says, this song's really challenging. I can't believe this is actually on this album, but all right. Then Eric says, this is my favorite song. Of the album probably it's, well, up this whole- I mean, come on, man. It kind of sums up the whole podcast. I mean, like, Eric lives in a fog machine. You, we all know this. This is true. This is true. This is true. It's good for my lungs. He's embraced the darkness out of all of us. (laughs) I mean, this is, yeah, it is weird. It's a weird closer. Um, It is, uh, it's dark. It's brooding. There is a rhythm to it. Um, This kind of like, tribal drums uh doing something not you know not unlike some dark wave or industrial that you might hear later you hear eno uh eno's um ambiance pushed right to the front of the of the mix um which is great and i mean really the song is like uh, all the hope that maybe happened throughout the album about the world well once you leave the world you realize our world is insignificant in the stars. <laughs> that's what the song is about. And almost the, the almost a, maybe that's where the hope is, is almost the, the freeing thought of knowing how insignificant we are and, and being able to, to exhale a little bit, uh, knowing that the universe literally does not rest on our shoulders. Um, uh, you know, with lyrics like the gentle collapse of every surface, we travel on the quiet load, the overload, the center is missing. 
they question how the future lies. Um, there is droney guitars and there's jackhammer samples. And at some point, the end of the song literally in my head takes you into a black hole and it just collapses on itself towards the end. Um, apparently, uh, this is a, this is a theory that I've read that, uh, they, they wanted to try their hand on the, uh, at a kind of music that they'd been reading about in the music trades, joy division. Although, Apparently, legend has it, none of them had ever actually heard Joy Division. So they were going to make a song based only on the press they had read about what Joy Division sounds like. And that is what they made here, which I find fascinating. Um, I don't think it necessarily sounds like Joy Division, but I, I see. But in the fact that it's kind of proto dark wave kind of stuff, I do. I do. I do see that. Um And uh, I just Emo- emotionally, emotionally, it's Joy Division, but not musically at all right um but i think it's an achievement and um completely unlike any other talking head song oh my god the uh that cover that uh sayudad is that that side project of a side project from the deftones is that what it's called oh do they do this song no they did day of the lords which is Joy Division. They put that out last oh, okay. week with uh, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God on vocals. Ah. Holy crap. I, I was gobsmacked by how good it was. Good mix, good mix of a good mix of a song, musicians and vocalist. But uh, that's about as far away from talking heads as we can get. Besides the fact that you just brought up Joy Division, Mark, are you overloaded? I, I do like this track. Um, it is somewhat surprising that it closes out the record, um, and in my in my ears. All I hear is a Joy Division song. I know the background that they actually never listened to Joy Division. It was something that was described to them, just like what Eric was saying. Um, but I I feel that this song could easily find a home on the Joy Division record closer. It is, uh, is right up there. I mean, in terms of how David Byrne is singing, in terms of the echoey drums the minimalism i just see a smoke machine i see all of those imagery that uh i don't quite attribute to talking heads and i think it's because i'm yeah go ahead well no i just i the vibe i can get down with but i always feel like joy division has more momentum than this track and that's about it from where i don't hear it but i everything you're saying still makes sense to me yeah, I agree with that to a certain extent. I mean, there are some uh, droners that Joy Division have and uh, where it almost goes into more of that uh, Bauhaus type sound. But I mean, I, it's not a bad thing. It is just one of those things that I'm kind of surprised that uh, they did it uh, just because 
talking heads just don't ever feel like, hey, let's try to do a, a goth song because this is truly a goth song in my mind. And oh yeah, it's it's a uh, it's uh, vampire bats hanging upside down on a ceiling, swaying yeah. back and forth, one hundred percent. Which is weird for Talking Heads, but I, you know, I guess when they're when they're the masters at anything they do, uh, I'm not surprised that they pulled this off just fine. Yeah, I mean, it's not a song that I don't think is ever duplicated in the rest of their catalog. So I think that the way to challenge themselves as a band and maybe potentially just try to uh just kind of take a page of what's new i mean i think that david byrne um just like david bowie is kind of a sponge uh he likes to absorb what's in the zeitgeist what's in the culture and see what uh he can then uh, contribute to it so this is just another example of him just very chameleon like being able to not just be pigeonholed um talking heads as much as they get like, Oh, they're the burning down in the house band. I think that they do like to um, broaden their horizons a little bit more than that. And um, maybe they leaned into that a little bit more in their later career as David Byrne was kind of enjoying the pop uh, culture life and certainly about to spin off into his own solo career. And, but yeah, overload. It's a good track. It's not something that's indicative of what Talking Heads are all about, because I do feel that this is Talking Heads trying to be something that they're kind of not. But all in all, it's it's a worthy effort. Gentlemen, how many how many punches would you be born under ranking this album? Uh, well, I would be born under right after that fourth punch halfway into the fifth. I'd, I, I, I would have been birthed out, um, uh, swimming in the juices of life. Uh, the, uh, four and a half punches I give, I give this album. Um, I am further convinced that Brian Eno deserves the credit for this, this, this wave of, um, kind of uh, alternative, like uh, I guess new wave meets world music that it wasn't just talking heads. It was all over the place in the eighties. It kind of took the world by storm. Uh, Brian, Eno had his, you know, had his uh, thumb in there, uh, you know, since the seventies, um, just very impressed by the production work on this. Some really crazy stuff on here while also making completely palatable uh, like, four quadrant songs um, uh, with just a, you know, couple, uh, couple moments to breathe that are slightly less than bangers. It's very close to a perfect album. 4.5. So uh, initially I did um, rank this uh, 4.5 just along the same lines as Eric, but I, I did edge it up to a 4.6 and I think it was just with multiple listenings. Um, I mean, this is a, uh, one of their standout records. I did do a quick run through on some of their earlier records. I still haven't listened to, uh, I think their last two albums, but for the most part, uh, this is kind of their peak is what I've been at least reading about that. This is certainly considered one of their masterpieces. 
And I see it. I mean, it's a strong record from back to front. There's never a skippable moment. There's never a groaner on this record. It is a very strong, consistent record. And perhaps over time, it will be seen for me as a perfect record. But I feel like after living with this one for about three weeks now, I'm pretty comfortable with at least giving it a 4.6. No. They would follow it up with uh, Speaking in Tongues, which uh, was not produced by Brian Eno. But they seem to take the similar, like, it was like one of those where they didn't have the weirdness of Brian Eno, but they 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 knew what they wanted to do, blending the world music and their pop. And that one has a ton of uh, singles on it and was, and it, and it is very, very good. But then after that, I think it, um, you know, as far as the creativeness definitely seemed to wane a little bit. I give it a four. It's very, very good. Classic even. It's uh, all the reasons we talked about tonight is why it ranks so high in our rankings and also the uh, the rankings of uh, music critics throughout the years. But it's not my favorite Talking Heads. Uh, more songs about buildings and food. It's probably my favorite album by them. But uh, this, this album's great. And uh, anybody that has listened to our podcast would uh would enjoy it if you have never listened to it before give it a shot all right guys what's uh what's next what's the dice got all right let's see let's see if i finally get a, t- a turn I, ha- I haven't i haven't gotten anything since uh clipping so let's see let's see what let's happens see. there's a all right eric i'm ready you ready Karma. all right i got this dice warmed up i've been i've been just bouncing around my palm for a while all right 11 Science fiction slam rap. Eric made us listen to that, and that's why he hasn't had a choice in months. <laughs> you got 11? You said 11? Yeah. Yes. Well, Eric, the time has come for you to actually get an episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> Cats who rock Mac, knowledge, knowledge is street astrologists, light up the mic, guard knowledge, block joints, the character points, Corolla, Motorola, Hola, play it guard, he pack over the shoulder, chrome tanks, play it like Yanks, check the franchise, front on my guys, my enterprise, last man, and that would be an album released October 18th, 1996, it is titled Iron Man, it is our dear friend, Ghost Face Killer, all right, Fantastic! We're gonna get we're gonna dip into the Wu Tang a little bit. That's going to be great. We might have to do a slight Wu Tang retro- retrospective as part of this. But yes, fantastic. Mark, I want you to listen to every Wu Tang related album between now and the recording. <laughs> you know, I tried, and Eric did was kind enough to be like, "No, listen to that. Don't listen to that. Listen to this. Listen to that." And I just I got sidetracked and I didn't finish. But uh, this may give me a reason to actually, uh, you know, get back on the horse. Oh, when I say horse, the heroin. Sure, sure. Well, that'll help it go down. That'll help it go down easy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Great but news. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we were tempting the gods by talking about Primus. Uh, this week, Mike Patton had an announcement about Faith No More and Mr. Bungle, so I felt that that could have been something there. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, there were some Clash references thrown in there. But uh, curveballs, folks. We're going to be talking about Ghost Face Killers. No, that's Iron good. Man that's, uh... Oh, man. Yeah, you know, what's good about it is, uh, you know, that'll be a fun one to do. Yeah, we'll do a B-side for them. And Eric will do all the talking. And then on the main episode, Eric will do almost all the talking. He'll get to, he gets to edit it too. So I mean, sure, we can just uh, yeah, go into this autopilot. That's perfect. All right. Yeah, it sounds. Uh, out a way to hype it for the for the audience. <laughs> like I exactly. get a choice, and you're like, yeah, we're gonna turn the lights, the the the, the, yeah, the, the, oh, the here, lights off. For this. Even 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 when you could be even like moderately interested in what we're talking about, you usually have. Uh, v plus content on your worst days, and then the days when you're really engaged, it's like a Professor Eric. So it'll be well, good. It'll be good. Yeah. No, me great. and Steve. I mean, I think me out of the most of us will will probably um, not have much to say, but I, I really hope that I do. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Another hip hop well, record, got, and got, I'm looking no, forward I've to got, it. I I own that album. I've got plenty to say, but I have. I'm not as eloquent at breaking down how rap music sounds as Eric is. So that's that it. is true. That is true. Eric, that is your superpower. Well, it's, it's, well, I was bitten by a, uh, by a radioactive, uh, vinyl record, <laughs> vinyl record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, join us next time when we talk about, uh, Wu Tang and uh, Ghostface Killer will be our subject and check it out Iron Man find us on all the socials tell us what you think about this episode tell us what you uh, know and like about Wu-Tang Clan and of course uh, some of their solo side projects but we're going to be talking about Ghostface Killer not the scream villain but the actual rapper Who is here to bring 